Hello everyone and welcome to Millennial Learns. Thank you all so much for tuning in to today's episode. This was supposed to be a Thursday episode, but you know, things got a little busy, so we're just going to keep it rolling and on our Monday episode talk about a state, which if you're new here, welcome. Every Thursday we talk about a new state in the order that they join the union and we go over like their state symbols, the history of the state, their geography, all of that sort of stuff. So we are on our 23rd state this week, which is the state of Maine. Now, I always kind of thought that Maine was like one of the original 13. Maybe if I had thought about it long enough, I would realize it wasn't part of the original 13, but I definitely would have thought it would have been like 14 or 15 then. But no, it is 23rd. I did not realize it joined the union so late. So we are going to go through the whole timeline of how that happened, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. So the first thing we're going to talk about is when it became a state and then some of the just background, like geography, climate, what the state is like today before we hop into the historical timeline. So the state of Maine was admitted into the Union on March 15th, 1820. It is the 23rd state, as I mentioned, and the name Maine comes from, well, it says the prevailing theory has to do with a practical nautical term, the Maine or mainland, uh, which served to distinguish the bulk of the state from the numerous islands around the coast. So there's a lot of coast in, you know, coastal areas in Maine. There is a lot of water surrounding it. So they think it came from this nautical term referring to the mainland. Now, that is one of the first state names, if not the first, that has not come from like a Native American tribe. So very interesting on the history of the name. The state motto translates to I direct. Um, the nicknames for the state are the pine tree. Well, it is the pine tree state. Sometimes these states have multiple nicknames, but the official nickname of Maine is the pine tree state. It is 38th in population density. So really not that populated, I think, because it's so forested for a lot of it. Um, but it has 1.3 million people as of 2020. So on the lower end of population density in the U.S. Okay, now let's go over the geography a little bit. Maine is the biggest state in New England. It's up on the very northeast corner of the state. It is bordered by Canada in the north and the east the Atlantic Ocean on the south, and New Hampshire to the west. The land is divided into three geographic regions, and I'm going to put the links to all these sources that I'm reading from in the show notes. So if you want to go read more or check the original websites, I will have those linked. So one of those geographic areas is the coastal lowlands. So this starts at the Atlantic coastline and it stretches inland anywhere between 10 and 40 miles depending on where in Maine you are. It has the beaches, salt marshes, there's bays, inlets, lots of coastal islands. This says that there are thousands of coastal islands as a part of Maine. The largest of which is Mount Desert Island. 
these islands started out as mountains apparently, but the rising sea level during the last ice age put them underwater. So Maine could have been a lot bigger during the ice age because it was all like one land mass. A set of islands in the north uh, are home to Acadia National Park. So again, those were the coastal lowlands area. Then there is the England, or the sorry, the Eastern New England uplands. Those are northwest of the coastal lowlands, and they have fertile soil, lakes, streams, and a set of mountains called the Longfellow Mountains. The third geographic area is known as the White Mountains. This is in the northwest part of the state. It includes Maine's highest point, which is Mount Katahdin. And uh, it also has Baxter State Park within that White Mountains region. So that is the geography, three main regions. Now the climate seems actually pretty good, but I was confused when I got to the comfort index which I say every week I might not report, but this one threw me for a loop and now I think it's a little bit more important because let's go over the stats before we talk about the comfort index. First of all, there are 46 inches of rain in Maine per year. The US average is 38. There's 75 inches of snow, which is almost like three times the national average. The national average is 28 inches per year. 192 sunny days in Maine, 205 nationwide. The July high is 78 degrees. The January low is 7 degrees. The comfort index is 6.3, which is very low compared to these other states. And the reason that threw me off is because a lot of the other states we've looked at, their comfort index is really low because in the summer it gets extremely, extremely hot. That is not the problem with Maine. It just gets extremely not even that it's the coldest state, but it just gets so much snow that if you don't like snow, you're so far north and you get 75 inches of snow a year. So that is why the comfort index is so low, but you know, the humidity is nice. It doesn't even reach 60% humidity. So, you know, really it's the snow. I feel like you could spend, you know, spring, summer and fall in Maine and be very comfortable. Just maybe get out of there for winter. So um, overall, like most of the months of the year look extremely comfortable and pleasant. And I have been to Portland, Maine. It is a beautiful place. I loved the whole town of Portland, Maine. So a couple years ago, my like aunt's uncle's mom, cousin, no, wait, not uncles. It was a girl's trip. My aunt's <laughs> mom and cousin all took like a girl's trip from Boston. And then we drove up the coast through New Hampshire into Portland, Maine and stayed a couple nights in Portland. And it was just the best trip. I'm becoming obsessed with the East Coast and I love, I love Maine. So I want to go back for sure and see some more of the like fall leaves and things like that. My grandma was from Maine. And so I've always wanted to go back. She always talked about the fall, like changing color leaves. And I really want to see that. So hoping to go back in the somewhat near future. Okay. Let's go over the historical timeline of the state and the region before it was a state. So the first uh, timeline, this is from e-reference desk, which 
honestly is a little hit or miss with some of these timelines, but I think this one should be okay. The first date on here is 1524, where Giovanni di Verrazzano becomes the first confirmed European to explore the coast of Maine. And then it took like 70 years for the next guy, Simon uh, Ferdinando, who is a Portuguese navigator, to land on the coast of Maine. He was looking for treasure and he was working for the British crown. 1604, a French contingency was led by Pierre Dugast, Sieur de Mont, and uh, he established the first recorded European colony in Maine. It was at the mouth of the St. Croix River. So again, that was 1604. The, you know, that year, later that year, and the next year, a French cartographer named Samuel de Champlain explores and maps portions of Maine of the Maine coastline and the Penobscot River. We have heard of Samuel Samuel D. Champlain before in other state histories. He, like I said, a lot of these guys explored many of the states, and so this is one of them. 1607, the British established the Fort Popham colony, which did not last because it had, you know, we just talked about how much snow they get, how brutal the winter is, and so this colony was actually wiped out because of how brutal the winters were. In 1622, Sir Ferdinando Hor Hor George or Jorge, I don't know, and John Mason are granted rights to lands which make up what is now Maine and New Hampshire. Um, so Ferdinando George or Jorge or yeah. <laughs> anyway, he became the first person to title the territory Maine. In a kind of random but I guess innovative bullet point on this list is the next year in 1623, the first sawmill in America was set up. In 1636, the Richmond Island fishermen boycott jobs. It was the first strike in the new colonies, it is believed. So there were already some, you know, political things happening as far back as 1636. In 1652, Maine was annexed as a frontier territory by Massachusetts. It says the strategic importance of Maine is established as Massachusetts officials considered it the first line of defense against potential French and Indian invasions. Again, a lot of political and strategic things happening in this area. Massachusetts takes over the Casco Bay in 1658, which annexed, completed the annexing of the Maine lands, like all the lands in Maine, not just Maine lands. <laughs> so I just had to pause and go back and try to figure out how to pronounce Sir Ferdinando's last name because it was kind of bothering me that I didn't look it up before. And they said in this YouTube video that how you pronounce it is Sir Ferdinando Gorgas which is literally the last way I would have thought to pronounce that. So you learn something new every day, I suppose. Um, okay, 1675, the King Philip's War begins. Uh, it's a long and arduous battle between the English and the French and Indians for control of the North American territories. And then from 1675, that King Philip's War, when it began in 1675, marked this period of like, almost a hundred years 
from 1675 to 1763, where it was continuous conflict between North American powers. It began with King Philip's War. It ended with France surrendering their holdings in the New World to the English at the end of the Seven Years' War. This says, during that time of almost 100 years, Maine bore the brunt of several attacks by the French and Indian forces. Okay, so that's like, you know, a a big time period. You know, going all the way up to 1763 is the conflict in North America. If you take a couple steps back to 1759, America's first female novelist was born. Her name was... Sarah, they, she went by Sally. Her name is Sarah Sayward Beryl Keating Wood. So quite a mouthful. Um, so she was born in 1759. 1775, the first naval battle of the American Revolutionary War occurs off of the coast of Machias in Maine. Benedict Arnold marched a band of revolutionaries through Maine in a failed attempt to capture the British strongholds in Quebec City and Montreal. That was also in 1775. By 1785, the first newspaper in Maine, called the Falmouth Gazette, was established for the express purpose of promoting separation from Massachusetts. So there was this movement that, you know, since we kind of went over that Maine was at this point still a part of Massachusetts, which I didn't really fully realize, I don't think, uh, before I studied Maine that this was a separation that eventually happened. This is when, you know, there was really a campaign to start that separation process. Maine's first post-secondary institution was established in 1794. That was Bowdoin College. Okay, we're into the 1800s. In 1819, Massachusetts agrees to allow the District of Maine to petition for statehood. And then in 1820, as a result of the Missouri Compromise, Maine becomes its own state. It becomes it becomes the first state to give suffrage and school privileges to all, regardless of race, right off the bat in 1820. Alright, 1839, Governor Fairfield declares war on England over a boundary dispute between New Brunswick and Northern Maine. It's the first and only time a state has declared war on a foreign power. So the US didn't declare war. Only the individual state of Maine, which was very interesting. The dispute was settled, however, before any blood was shed. There was the Webster-Ashburton Treaty of 1842, which settled that Maine and New Brunswick border dispute. Both sides compromised on a new boundary between the two territories. All right, 1851, Harriet Beecher Stowe begins writing Uncle Tom's Cabin in Brunswick, Maine. It would later serve as a source of inspiration for abolitionists prior to the Civil War. And then Maine was very progressive on, you know, voting and school privileges for all, but they were also the first state to outlaw the sale of all alcoholic beverages. Also happened in 1851. In 1860, Hannibal Hamlin, who was from Paris, Maine, was named Abraham Lincoln's vice president. Uh, In 1863, Brunswick, Maine native Joshua Chamberlain successfully defended Little Round Top against Confederate troops at the Battle of Gettysburg during the Civil War. This 
these actions by Chamberlain served as the turning point of that battle, some will argue. 1866, there was a great fire that destroyed much of downtown Portland in the area now known as Old Port. And then then, uh, 10 years later, Portland is again struck by a freak snowstorm on the 4th of July, like a very late into the summer snowstorm. Okay, 1884, Winslow Homer settles at Prout's Neck in Scarborough, and James G. Blaine, who was a presidential nominee as a Republican, suffered a narrow defeat to Grover Cleveland. So the man who was running against Grover Cleveland, who lost, was from Maine. In 1888, a man named Melville W. Fuller, who was also from Maine, became the Chief Justice on the U.S. Supreme Court. And then in 1898, the U.S. battleship named Maine is sunk in Havana Harbor, an incident which helps trigger the Spanish-American War. Remember, the Maine becomes a major war slogan. Okay, now we are into the 1900s. So 1905, there is the first forest fire lookout station in America. It's established on Squaw Mountain near Greenville, Maine. 1917, the U.S. enters World War I. The Maine legislature appropriates a million dollars for war purposes. 1918, armistice is declared, and Maine's contribution to the war effort amounted to 116 million and 35,000 men. Okay, 1931, Governor Percival Baxter begins buying land in northern Maine for the purpose of establishing a game reserve. Over the course of 30 years, Baxter would purchase 90,000 acres. This land was donated towards the establishment of Baxter State Park. So that state park we mentioned in one of the geographic regions, that is where the origin of this came from, or where that state park came from. Prohibition, like the specific Maine prohibition law, is repealed in 1934. So the sale of liquor had been illegal for 84 years, and now this was the first time it was becoming legal again. In 1936, there was a there was a the most disastrous floods in Maine history result in 25 million dollars of losses. Okay, 1947, a disastrous forest fire sweeps through the Maine coast. It destroyed more than a thousand homes, leveling seven communities and causing damage to 50 more. It also destroyed 17,000 acres of the Acadia National Park and burnt 200,000 additional acres of woodland. So there's quite the history of major fires and snowstorms. So you know that i feel like we've seen that with a couple states like illinois i think had a lot of fires you know the great chicago fire but they also had a lot of subsequent fires this is kind of how that timeline is turning out as well 1948 uh scohegan native margaret chase smith is elected to the u.s senate making her the first woman to ever be voted into this office and the first woman to serve in both houses of congress 1956, the first American atomic submarine named the USS Swordfish is launched at Kittery Portsmouth Naval Shipyard. Okay, this is an interesting one. 1957, the election day in Maine was moved from September to November to align with the rest of the nation. So 
the whole nation was voting in in November, except for Maine, up until 1957 when they finally just moved it to get in sync with the rest of the country. Okay, 1961, the first Polaris submarine, the USS Abraham Lincoln, it's called, is launched at that same naval shipyard in Maine. The construction of, or, and this is another point, the construction of Telstar communication satellite begins in Andover, Maine. It marks the beginning of the global communications revolution. So Maine did play a big part in the technology revolution coming into the 60s and 70s. 1968, the University of Maine system is established, creating public post-secondary institutions in various parts of the state. 1974, James Longley is elected the governor of Maine. He is the first popularly elected independent governor in the history of the United States. I didn't even know there was an independent governor ever elected, but yes, there was a Maine governor in 1974 who was running as an independent. 1980, President Carter signs the Indian Land Claims Agreement. And then in 1984, Freeport native Joan Benoit Samuelson becomes the first gold medal winner at the inaugural Women's Olympic Marathon event in the 1984 Summer Olympic Games in Los Angeles, California. So she was a Maine native. There is a Waterville, Maine native, Senator George Mitchell, who was named the U.S. Senate Majority Leader in 1988. Uh, There was another uh, independent who was popularly elected to governor. His name was Angus King, and he was from Brunswick, Maine. He was elected in 1994. So Maine has definitely a history of, of being willing and able to elect independents to their governor's office. Then there's also another Maine native. He was from Bangor, Maine, and his name was Senator William Cohen. He was sworn in as President Clinton's Secretary of Defense in 1997. Um, The 2000s, I always like kind of skip over because they always have just terrible, horrendous accidents usually. Like, oh, the, you know, a hurricane hit, a tornado wiped out everyone. But let's see if there's anything good here. Um, there was a new record low temperature for the state in 2009. 2010, Prospect Harbor's sardine cannery shut down. It's the last, it was the last sardine cannery in the U.S., so that is sad. Um, and that's kind of all the important ones, I think. In 2000, this is interesting. In 2000, the state legislature outlawed all racist or derogatory or derogatory town names that included like any root words you know basically that were offensive so a bunch of I think a bunch of town names got renamed um so that was in 2000 and yeah that's pretty much it on this timeline so that is the history of Maine in a snapshot so let's talk about famous people from Maine we'll just go over I think I chose like six George Bush, Stephen King, Anna Kendrick, Patrick Dempsey, Nelson Rockefeller, who was the VP of the U.S., and Henry Wadsworth Longfellow were all from Maine. There's more, but those were the most notable ones that caught my attention. Okay, time for 
state symbols. So I like to, for every state, go over, just like run through the list of any interesting state symbols. And I actually have just a little um, fun fact about how I tried to acquire one of these the last week. So, okay, the state animal is a moose. Not surprising since they're like right by Canada. The state berry is a wild blueberry. The state bird is a chickadee. The state cat is a Maine Coon cat. Now these are ginormous cats that I guess are from Maine, but they're like, I feel like they're like four times the size of a regular cat. They're huge and it really freaks me out that they're that big and that animal would be living in someone's house. But this is one of the only states that has a specific cat breed that is adopted as their state cat. So very interesting. The main lobster is the state crustacean. Blueberry pie is the state dessert. The landlocked salmon is the state fish, which is really funny because there's so much coast like in Maine, as we've talked about, there's tons of islands, there's all of this coastal area and they chose the fish to be the landlocked salmon, which I thought was a little comical. The state herb is wintergreen. The state insect is the honeybee. The state soft, okay, here's the interesting one. The state dr soft drink is called moxie. Now, moxie is like a soda. And let me just give you a little rundown. So this says the legend of Lieutenant Moxie. It has been said that after the Civil War, a Lieutenant Moxie went down to the vast unexplored jungles of South America and, quote, discovered while exploring near the Strait of Magellan a starchy plant known to local natives to have great powers. The rest was history. Sadly, modern history has never documented anyone named Lieutenant Moxie that has ever fought for either army for either army in the war between the states. So, so this is the legend. Like, okay, he went down, he fought for the... Uh, during the war, the Civil War, and then he found this this plant. But they can't find any evidence that this guy exists, like, at all. So, it says, furthermore, no scientific re reference has ever been published on any South American starchy plant, much like our asparagus, that has medicinal properties that gave a, quote, durable, vigorous feeling to the 19th century local natives. Oh, well, so much for the legend. There were several... There were several versions anyways. The story made a great copy and demand for a tonic extracted from the mysterious plant increased nationally. So this says what was Moxie really. So it's a, it's basically the first mass marketed soft drink. It says long before Pepsi, Coke, and the current variety of quote new age soft drinks with sophisticated names, there was Moxie. Well before Coke, it's the quote real thing Wait, well before Coke's It's the Real Thing jingle in the early 1970s, the country was singing, just make it moxie for mine at this great St. Louis exposition. So this is like the first mass marketed thing where advertising and like merchandise for a product became popular. So they, they kind of debuted it, this, at least the jingle at the Great St. Louis Exposition, everyone was singing the jingle. It helped promote the drink. Moxie was founded in Lowell, Massachusetts in 1884 by Dr. Augustine Thompson of Union, Maine. 
Originally, Moxie was touted as a patent medicine guaranteed to cure almost any ill, including loss of manhood, paralysis, and softening of the brain. Uh, they were These claims were revised by the Pure Food and Drug Act in 1906. Okay. Uh, bottlers were opened all over the country. Frank Archer, who started with the company as a clerk, continued to brilliantly promote Moxie using every promotional gimmick known at the time. In the heyday, the beverage was strongly associated with amusement parks, dance halls, and East Coast resorts. These were places synonymous with good times and the vigorous life that drinking Moxie was supposed to sustain. The horse-drawn Moxie bottle wagons were a common scene at these locations in the 20s and 30s and were replaced by the famous horse mobiles, which could be seen at resorts, parades, and fairs. So they had like a ton of promotion for moxie and that's like the saying you know oh he's got some moxie that's because the drink was supposed to give you like this vigorous energy so i was talking about this with my aunt because you know my grandma was from maine and so we're like how have we not had moxie turns out my brother has had moxie before and you know he's like oh yeah it's just soda they sell it down at rocket fizz so i went to rocket fizz Wait, I think I already told this story on a podcast. I forget who I tell it to. But if you haven't heard it in my Rhode Island podcast episode, um, I went into Rocket Fizz, tried to get some Moxie, and someone had come in and bought like all of the bottles, he said. So they were waiting for another shipment. So I got no Moxie, but I hope in the near future to try it. So those were the state symbols. Uh, let me see if there was any other one. Uh, the tree is the white pine. The state treat is whoopie uh, pie. The state sweetener is the pure Maine maple syrup. And the state song is the state of Maine song, it's called. <laughs> and it was written by Roger Vinton Snow. Okay, and then the last thing that we will go over in this podcast episode is things to do in Maine. There are a lot of things to do in Maine and a lot of them are nature related, um, but they all are beautiful. So number one is Acadia National Park. We've talked a little bit about this, but it is just an absolutely beautiful like coastline and national park. It is one of the top 10 most visited national parks in the country. And it has just like a ton of things within the park that you can see. You can bike, kayak, swim, all of that. Uh, there's also Portland, Maine, which is like the, it says it's the quintessential Maine destination. There's lighthouses, lobster rolls, art, food, entertainment. It is like the hub, you know, you've got to go to Portland, Maine. The flagship L.L. Bean store is also there. <laughs> there is a place called Bar Harbor. It's considered the gateway to Acadia National Park. It says it's a great place to unwind. It's like this small little island town or a, uh, Wait, we used to enjoy the outdoors in this Mount Desert Island town. From coastal walks along the Frenchman Bay, bird watching in multiple parks, foodies will be pleased. So this is, if you look at the picture of this, it's so cute. There is whale watching, you can see. You can go to Cape Elizabeth and the Portland Head Lighthouse, which is just, I mean, if you look at this picture, you think Maine. Cape Elizabeth is just, it's like a postcard. And we, I think, went to that one and it's, so beautiful you can stroll down the scenic marginal way it's one mile long on the rocky coast similar to 
the cliff walk it looks like on uh, in Rhode Island okay there's Kennebunkport which is a uh, beach destination in Maine it says plan to spend your entire vacation near the water uh, you can fish sunbathe sail great beach town so Oh, and then the last thing I'll mention is Stephen King's house. So I know I mentioned that Stephen King is a famous person from Maine and his old like historic house is right there. Like you can go and see it. It says from the outside visitors can see and take photos of the red Victorian mansions, quirky features from the spider and dragon adorned iron fence to the 15 foot tall wood sculpture in the front yard. Uh, let's see. Recent visitors say that the property is especially eerie in the fall, and many rec recommend signing up for a three-hour excursion with uh, SK Tours to learn about the locations where King has lived. So you can do a little, a little tour and everything. So um, I don't like the spooky stuff, but if you do, that is a good place to go. There's also a great botanical gardens um, that you should go see. As I keep scrolling through this list, I keep seeing seeing more that I want to mention old orchard beach oh that's i think where we went it's old orchard beach and that was actually a really good beach i was not expecting a lot from east coast beaches i thought they were all kind of rockier but that one was very pretty and nice sand so i liked it a lot and that is it for this week's episode about a state i hope you enjoyed the history of maine and all of the fun things you can do all the state symbols all the famous people hope you enjoyed it all and if you are from Maine or have been, you know, I'm always trying to plan another girl's trip to the East Coast. So let me know if I missed anything on the attractions list to go do. Let me know in DMs. Also, if you have not yet, go on to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave a review. I would appreciate five stars and a little nice note. If you have time, it helps get the podcast out to a broader audience. So thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. I will see you all on Thursday for another state history episode. So have a great week, everyone, and I will see you on Thursday. Bye.